Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. join them later but I'm kind of no good in the morning and no good for a lot of today because um, it's the day my friend died and um, you know we we can have these kind of anniversaries of people um, I'm rubbish at remembering birthdays I'm even worse at remembering anniversaries sad anniversaries some people are amazing at it my mum is amazing at it she just she'll say oh today is the day and I'm thinking oh what is it and something will happen it'll be it'll be 17 years since such and such your body died uh, oh is it and oh yes and your, your great great uncle Bill he would have been 174 if a bit still been alive or something it's, that's the you know and she kind of just remembers all these different anniversaries but it's good that we remember even if we don't want to remember it's good that we think about the cross and Jesus dying even if in some ways there's all kinds of other things that we could be doing and, and thinking about because actually today matters a great deal because what happened um matters more than more than anything really in fact it really is a matter of life and death it's um how we view today and what jesus did on the cross changes everything and um so i've got a slide i think um to start with um we've got some various uh, slides that kind of talk about um good questions that people will have and um, how we how we look at this passage from Jesus um, from these readings uh, will give us various issues uh, various answers is there no the slide's not in there oh okay so two people can have the same thing happen to them and it be quite different because of the worldview that they approach it with um, I was thinking that uh, some there's been times in my own life when I've gone to the hospital uh, and there's been somebody in my family um, one of my grandchildren my own son at different points uh, it was you know really serious and um, everything sort of changes and suddenly um, what you thought was going to be okay now you're getting told may not be okay and uh, that you, um, I was, some of you may even remember years ago when Cole was born, I was here and I was, I was in the middle of a preach and um, the word came that Emma was having, my daughter was having Cole, our first grandchild and it was, it was really, really serious and um, uh, what do you do? Um, you know, somebody can come into the casualty and they come in and they, they come in with one of their children and they think they've just got a cold or whatever initially and then they get a test after another test and suddenly they get told this could be, this could be fatal. And, and so their first response to that is to pray. That's somebody's first response. Why? Because you think God's there. Because you think he cares. 
because you believe that he listens, that he answers when you pray. That's why anybody would pray. Your act of prayer comes with all kinds of assumptions. You, you assume that you and your child and the world were not just happening things. They actually, there's a creation that was going on and there's a creator and that there is a God who transcends the creation and that he is all powerful and able and good and your praying reveals a particular worldview that you have if you have that worldview I'm not going to assume everybody here today has that worldview but that worldview if you have it arises from a belief in a particular story about the world and your place in it but then living a few doors away is a neighbour who has maybe the very same thing or a very similar thing happening to them again the the issue is the same but for him it's a completely different Mindset, because for him, if you were to ask him, it would be really similar to you. Not now, because all kinds of people pray in terrible, difficult circumstances, whatever they're going to call it, some kind of desperation prayer. But on a, if you'd asked him in the pub the week before, he probably would have said, "Well, I believe it's just chance, nature, things just happen," and. Um, there's no real God there's no God at all he believes actually in the absence of God and therefore in the absence of God he's writing his own story with himself as the star and other people in the story are cast members but if you were to push him to the logic of his presuppositions which of course now would not be the time to do while he's waiting in the hospital to find out what's going to happen to be honest with you I'd be praying for him now whether he liked it or not but how could he conclude that his child's sickness or even impending death is actually that much of a problem because his experience is now contradicting the reality because he knows this ain't right we experience and live our lives in a much bigger story. For the most part, we take for granted the fact whether we are a believer or an unbeliever. We don't even necessarily think about what we think about or how we feel or what we do. But the, if the truth really is that it, it is all just blind chance and that evolution wired the world for the survival of the fittest and his daughter or son happens to die now, well... It's very sad for him. But why would it matter, really? Good question. The Russian philosopher Vladimir Solovsky sarcastically summarised the ethical reasoning of today's secular humanism like this. Man descended from apes, therefore we must love one another. See, it doesn't make sense, it doesn't tie together. If it was natural and okay in the past for the, the weak to rule over and even eat the strong, why aren't people allowed to do that now? If the secular universe is such 
the, the, why, if it's more logical to kill and destroy than it is to love and to care, then what's to stop us? Just doing whatever we want. Richard Dawkins says atheists do not have faith. That's a quote. But actually everything that he does is to explain what he believes and to try and get other people to believe the same thing. Everybody actually puts their faith or trust in something or somebody. Now the gospel writer John said Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name the gospel is quite upfront that these facts are not just facts they're meant to be something that push you to a decision that make you decide well what do I believe and what am I going to do and how am I going to live as a result of what I believe because you are going to live as a result of what you believe anyway so you might as well choose what you believe and John is telling us that his gospel and the, the, the other gospels, they're accounts of eyewitnesses of what happened when Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, when he was born in fulfilment of prophecies, when he lived a perfect life, gave teaching that is unsurpassed, when he died and shed his blood and said, nobody's going to take my life from me, but I'm going to give it, I'm going to lay it down, and I'm going to do it as a ransom for other people. And then they saw him die. And then these same eyewitnesses report, together with many others, seeing him alive again afterwards. All these questions that we can have about that. You know, there's some really good questions. Why did it happen? Who was Jesus? If Jesus was God's son, why did his father, who is God, if he could stop anything, do anything? Why did he let it happen? Good questions. All really good questions. And here at Ivy, we're saying we're in the, in the year of hope. On Good Friday, the thing is when you look at the cross, when you focus on the cross and think about something that sometimes we might not even want to think about because it is sad and it is bad and it is horrible and it is torture and it's brutality and it's blood and guts. The ultimate guts. We see everything differently when we realise what looked like the most hopeless scene in history is actually the place that will give hope to the most hopeless person in the most hopeless time of their lives. The story you believe right now, your place in the story, and whether it's your story or whether you're part of a bigger story, and God brought you into this life to play a big a part, in, big or small, in his story, determines how you're going to see everything else so we can ask big questions because of the cross and we're just going to go through this passage as Matthew describes the last hours of what happened to that tortured man on the cross naked and exposed before the world and if we see it differently it can determine which of these two approaches to life we take and it changes everything so the first question if you do a thing called the Alpha Course, which if you've never done, I encourage you to do so. And you can find out about that and talk to myself or Matt or these guys, Tim, Becky or others today, to find out about how you can sign up to Alpha. One of the things that you're going to look at is who is Jesus? And people kind of assume that they know who Jesus is because most of us will have heard about him. And many people will say he's just a good man. He's a historical figure. That's beyond doubt. Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. It's a matter of historical record. Anybody who says they don't believe that, to be honest with you, don't believe them about anything. Jesus stands before Pilate, the governor, the 
the biggest, greatest symbol of power in his nation at the time, because behind him stands Caesar, and that authority asks him a question. And Jesus actually understood authority. Jesus spoke about authority a lot. He realised that you have to come under authority in order to be able to have authority. So Jesus always lived in right relationship to authority. He was not rebellious. So Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he had every right to ask him a question. Not saying everything else that Pilate did was right, but he could ask the question. And Jesus submitted to that lawful earthly authority and answered him. You've said so. That's it. Is that all Jesus is? Is he just the king of the Jews? Is he a king? What kind of a king? These are the kind of questions that Pilate was trying to to get from him. Now, Jesus did not answer to the spiritual authority of the corrupt chief priests and the elders at this point. He gave them no answer. He wouldn't submit to their authority. At one point, the chief priest said to him, I adjure you by the God of heaven, which is a higher authority than him, if you are the son of God, tell us. And he submitted to that authority. And he said, I am. And one day you're going to see me returning with the clouds in glory. But at this point, he gave no answer. And Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? Jesus made no reply, not to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Who is Jesus? Who would it be who could stand before the, the most powerful man in his time, having his own life put on trial and not shout and swear and fight back not demand his rights not start complaining about everything that was being done to him but seem to be in control in the courtroom if you've ever been in a courtroom courtrooms can be scary places I've been in lots of courtrooms when I was a police officer I was in a courtroom when I was in a jury a couple of years ago they're kind of scary places to be in a kangaroo court to be in a place where you know that you've been already been beaten where they keep on beating you because that's how they think they're going to get the most truth out of you is to keep on beating you but Jesus just stands there majestic like a king who is Jesus Next question. Why did Jesus die? Pilate, as you read the passage, his wife came to him and said, don't have anything to do with this man. I had a dream about him. and it's, uh, it's scary. Just leave him alone. So Pilate, at this point, washes his hands of him and says, I don't want anything more to do with him. And actually, I get to set somebody free. Do you want me to... let? The, one, the king of the Jews free no they don't the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to have Jesus executed some of you probably know this Barabbas some people believe that his first name was Jesus Jesus Barabbas means son of Abbas so Barabbas means son of Abbas so there's a man called Abbas and he has a son and Jesus a rebel a terrorist as far as the Romans would be concerned has been is locked up in the prison so he Pilate's like let me think of the worst possible person I can think of that they're not going to want out would you rather have the worst possible person or Jesus 
they say, we'll have the worst possible person, please, rather than have Jesus. We'll have Jesus, not Jesus the King of the Jews, we'll have Jesus the, rab- the, the rebel, Jesus the rebellious one, Jesus Barabbas. And then what will I do with then Jesus who is called the Messiah? You see, he's saying there's another Jesus. There's Jesus Barabbas and Jesus the Messiah. What am I going to do with Jesus the Messiah? And they say, crucify him, which he's got authority to do, which the chief priests and the elders didn't have authority to do, which was you know, the, the lowest possible means in the Roman Empire by which anybody could be killed. It could never happen to a, a, um, a Roman citizen. It was, the, it was for thieves and beggars and rebels. That was how they died. I may have told you before, but in those days, we now have made the sign of the cross into a nice holy thing like that. But in those days, if you were riding your chariot around the M60 or whatever they had in those days, and somebody carved you up in their chariot, then your hand signal of annoyance to them would be that. May you go to a cross. It's the worst thing that could possibly happen. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. He's already been beaten. He's been beaten before. Why did Jesus die? Jesus died as a substitute. Jesus died in somebody else's place. Jesus died so that the worst sinner wouldn't have to have the penalty of their sins against them. Jesus died in the place, not just of Barabbas, but in the place of everybody. Everybody who ever sinned, because we're all Barabbas. We've all rebelled. We all deserve the just condemnation of our sins. And Jesus died and was flogged and was crucified for us instead of us in our place. Next question. What about evil and suffering? This is the one people try and get you on if you're a Christian. Well, if God is good and all powerful, why did he let this happen and why does that happen? And it's the, it's the, it's the hard one, it's the tough one. And it isn't one, again, that you should ever get into a conversation with somebody who's actually feeling it at the time when they're going through pain. But if it is just a philosophical question or a smokescreen to kind of hide their lack of faith or their wanting to hold on to their own sin instead of, then actually our God entered into it fully. He knows about evil and suffering. He knows about the death, even the death of a son. Our God knows then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and he twisted together a crown of thorns, set it on his head, put a staff in his right hand, knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him, took the staff, struck him on the head again and again. After they mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. People can be very violent. People, you don't need me to see that. You just probably just saw the, the news from Northern Ireland and the, 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 there's an undercurrent that can suddenly, if it's unleashed get people doing terrible things to other people. This is the human condition. This isn't just what, what bad people do. You might have seen the psychological experiments when they put supposedly good people in charge and then they get power that they shouldn't really have and now they use it against other people and they end up with them being tortured. They torture them, the people who are supposed to look after them. Much of the evil and suffering in the world can be explained by humanity's evil in people's hearts. Of course, there's natural disasters, and we haven't got time to go into all the details of that, but there's so many human disasters that are caused because, as J. John says, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And that's what needs to be fixed. 
Jesus knows about evil and suffering. God knows about evil and suffering. Next question, please. Who does God save? As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and they forced him to carry the cross. Jesus died for Barabbas. Jesus died for the rebel. Jesus died for the, the, the one who didn't deserve it. Jesus died for, for a man from Cyrene called Simon who later on had two sons called Rufus and Alexander who were pillars in the church and get mentioned in various parts of the Bible. But at this point, he's a North African man. Cyrene's in Libya chances are he's a black man he's in Jerusalem he gets pressed into carrying the cross all kinds of nations all kinds of backgrounds all kinds of people Jesus died God will save anybody who will take up a cross and follow him Jesus the verse that brought me to him Mark 8 verse 34 Zoe wrote it in the Bible for me then Jesus called the crowd to him together with his disciples because you can be in a crowd and not be a disciple and he said if anyone will come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me it's not going to be easy to follow a man who's going to die on a cross it's not always going to be easy to follow Jesus but that's the call will you take up your cross whatever that looks like God will save anybody who will take up a cross the apostle Paul said I've been crucified with Christ the life I live now I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me he's like saying I've exchanged my old life and I've taken up a cross God will save anybody who will take up a cross and follow Jesus anybody it doesn't matter what our background is doesn't matter what we've done doesn't matter where we came from what matters is who we're following Next question, please, Rob. More rebels were crucified with him. One on his right, one on his left. We read from the other Gospels about how one of them ends up just despising Jesus. Out of his pain, what's in him comes out of him. And he's, he's, he's cursing him. They're both doing it for a while at first, but then after a bit, there's something different about the way this man dies. And he turns, one of them turns to the other one and says, don't you care? You know, you've not seen how he is, how he's different. We're getting what we deserve. This man's done nothing wrong. And then he says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Doesn't promise to be good, doesn't say I'm going to go to church from now on. He's got nothing to offer except his sin and his repentance. And Jesus takes it and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple, a capital offence, by the way, in Roman times, to, 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 say, to destroy a temple, uh, the Romans didn't like that because it broke the Roman peace. So to say that you were going to do that would be enough to be able to um, be, be crucified for. That's one of the reasons why they did it, why they had that as their accusation. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way the chief priests, teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the kingdom, king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. Would they? I don't know if they would. I think they'd find a way to not believe him. There's always a way not to believe him. There's always a way to say, oh, it's just that, isn't it? It just happened doesn't prove anything really if you don't want it to prove anything it won't even if he came down off the cross 
and stood there in front of him. People who say, well, if he just did that so often, even if he did, and sometimes he did, if they look back, well, if he only did that, then I believe in him. Well, he did, and you didn't believe in him. I was talking to a guy at Spring Harvest the other day. I'd just done my first talk. It was wonderful, actually, because i just finished, and this guy came up to me, and I thought in some way, you know, he might be having a bit of a pop at something I'd said or whatever. And so and he said, uh, hi, and he asked me the question. He said, um, I don't get the Jesus thing. He says, I'm, I'm, I've been searching for 22 years. I said, well, what would you, how would you know you'd found? He went, oh, never really thought of that. I said, well, let's sit down. And we did a thing that we do here called the three circles. And I wrote these three circles about how God made the world, but he got broke. Jesus came to fix it and put it back together and put us back together and send us back to the world to make a difference. Two minutes, 22 years of searching, two minutes of, of, of explanation, eternity changed for that man. He said, yes, please. Gave his life to Jesus. Because he, he was... He had been searching, he had genuine questions, but something needed to come into place and he had to actually believe. He actually had to say, yeah, I want that for me. God will save anybody who will believe in him. Really? Next question. Is hell real? Yeah, because Jesus went there. From noon till three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. That word actually literally means screamed. Jesus screamed. They thought he was talking, they thought he was asking for Elijah because of what he said, because of that scream. They misinterpreted it. That's why later on some people are like, oh, he's, talking, he's calling out for Elijah. But he's actually quoting scripture. He's quoting Psalm 22. He's screaming out what's inside of him. People on the, in pain won't just... Acts, they'll react. So it'll just what's in you will come out in pain. And what came out of Jesus was not my friends, my friends, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't my head, my head, why is there blood pouring from you? It wasn't my hands, my hands, why are there nails in you? It was the worst thing for him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the thing is, people listening would have thought this was what they call a cry of dereliction. They talk about that. But actually, Jesus knew the, end, knew the psalm, and he was quoting the psalm, and he knew that the psalm doesn't end with a man abandoned. It actually ends with somebody being able to declare that he will, he will see the satisfaction of his soul. That there's a purpose for this. So Jesus enters into hell. I heard Tim Keller say that on, about this, this particular passage that you know, we can think about hell as being this long eternal thing, but actually there's no time in heaven and hell. Hell is a state of being absolutely away from the presence of God, no longer being in the presence of God. And Jesus, who had never known any form of separation from his father who'd only ever done what he saw the father doing suddenly in this moment and it may have only just been for a short time but it doesn't matter how short a time it was he's entering fully into that lost condition he, he fully enters into the pain of being lost from God why did that happen? 2 Corinthians says God made him 
who knew no sin to become sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew what he was saying. He knew what he was screaming when he was screaming. He was trusting his father and entrusting himself into his father's care. So yeah, hell is real. Jesus went there, but he didn't stay there. So that none of us have to. None of us have to go there. Next one. What happens when I die? Everybody dies. When Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He didn't kind of go, he, he gave up his life. He handed it over. He's finished with that life now, but only so he could take it up again. Everybody dies. What happens when you die? It's up to you. Jesus has done everything so that anybody never has to fear death. That in fact, death for us is not the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing that can happen is to die and be separated from God. But that doesn't have to happen for any of us. In fact, for many of us, this life is the closest thing to hell we'll ever experience as Christians. Whereas for people who don't put their trust in Jesus, this life is the closest to heaven that they'll ever get. That's why this is so serious. This message that has been entrusted to us called the gospel. What happens when I die? What happens when everybody dies? We'll all have to give up our spirit one day. Whether we want to or not. Jesus laid his down so that we could receive new life that lasts forever. Next question. What happens when I die? Now we can have access. See, at that point, there was no access for people. This is one of the reasons, that, this is like the main reason in some ways that Jesus came and did what he did. And what happened then is so powerfully symbolic, but it's also real. Because everything that was set up in the system of the day in those days was about barriers. You couldn't just come to God. If you were a non-Jew... You, you couldn't come near the temple. They had signs up. They had the, the cause of the Gentiles kept you out. And, and if you went in, they'd stone you. And then after that, if you were a woman, you could go in so far if you were a Jewish woman. And then there was a barrier. And then there was another barrier for Jewish men. And they could come so far. And then after that, only the priests were allowed. But they weren't allowed in all the way. There was only the high priest. And the high priest could only come in once a day. Once, sorry, once a year on a particular day with all kinds of sacrifice going on all kinds of blood being shed from all kinds of animals and his knees knocking in fear as he's trembling coming into the presence of God and what separated you from the holy of holies which was just basically a stone with some blood on it this place where God would look and see that stone and so that he wouldn't send his judgment because he would see the blood that was shed that was on this holy of holies. The only thing that, that kept you back, even the, the, was this huge curtain finally that said no access, no way to God, no way into the holy of holies. This curtain, it was 60 feet high 
30 feet wide, magnificently embroidered. They made a, the rabbi said they made a new one every year. It never wore out because they always got another one. It took 300 priests to put, the temp, to put this curtain in place. It was so thick. It was, it was soundproof virtually. No entry. That's what it said to the Holy of Holies. Under all of that system, with all those animals, all that sacrifice, all that worship, all those people standing outside and worshipping and praying, and you've seen the Jews doing all of this and rocking and saying their prayers and reciting scripture and all that, were not allowed in to the Holy of Holies. And then Jesus dies and from top to bottom, because that's the only way that thing could be torn had to be torn from top to bottom Josephus the historian says that 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 curtain was so thick that if you got two horses and put one on one side and one on the other and tried to pull those pull the curtain apart the horses wouldn't be able to tear the curtain it was that thick that strong but God just went at the moment Jesus died and what does that say it says now we have access Hebrews chapter 10 says it's now it's through a new and living way through his body through Jesus' body now we have access now we can come I think we, we sometimes get a little bit blasé about how amazing that is we walk in it's like hey guys you're all right yeah yeah come on let's come into the presence again you know maybe one week we should all have to bring an animal and kill it or something I don't know we get in trouble but something that makes it seem like awesome because this is awesome because at that moment that Jesus gave up his spirit the temple was the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom we couldn't tear it from bottom to top our good works could not get us through the temple Nothing we could do could get us access and I get to go in now to God. Oh, God loves me. He's my father. No, he's your father and he loves you because of Jesus Christ, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We should still come in somehow on our knees. We should still come in with that sense of reverence and awe, not just come bouncing into his presence. He says later we should come in with confidence, but it's not confidence in me, it's confidence in him. It's confidence in what Jesus has done for me that I'm now covered. That when I come in, there's not, there isn't the bloods all over the temple, bloods all over me. Amen. The blood of Jesus Christ covers me from all my sins. And, and that's why I can come because I'm forgiven by Him because the blood is all over me. The blood of Jesus Christ that came from the cross, drops of it have fallen on me. And it's the most powerful substance in the universe because if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us but if we confess our sins God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us how by his blood from every kind of wrong the earth shook the rocks split tombs broke open it's like they can't wait for Easter Sunday the bodies of many holy people who died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and freaked out many people. <laughs> when the centurion, those with him guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. I don't know whether that means they put the truth in him, but their faith in him, but they saw the truth about who he is. 
some really good questions, some really good answers. What happens when I die? Everybody's going to be raised. Everybody's going to say, he was the son of God. One day, Philippians says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's going to happen whether somebody now is a Buddhist, a Hindu, an atheist, doesn't matter. They're all going to be raised. And they're all going to have to admit the truth about who Jesus is. And that his death on the cross was not some sad thing that happened that now we can all just learn from and try and be nice to one another. But it was God dying in our place, in my place, for my sins to cover me. To bring me into his presence, into the holy of holies, so I've got no fear of coming into his presence. But I can go in with faith, covered by his love and grace forever and ever. Because surely he is the son of God. Are there any more? How do we reconnect to God? We've got these booklets and we'd love to give you one on the way out. Anybody who wants to connect or reconnect to God, it's written by a guy called J. John and he says, this is what you have to do if you want to make a connection with God. Three steps, admit, commit, submit. Just take a moment, let's pray through these things. Admit. silently or aloud to admit that you've been disconnected from God that you have broken the contract allowed the barrier of sin to separate you from him tell God any areas specifically where you know you've messed up no point in blaming others trying to hide anything God knows it all already but we own it and we own up to it and we admit Lord it was my sin that held you there after admit commit think about Jesus dying on the cross for you and now God has dealt permanently and completely with your sin so that you can be totally forgiven of everything you've ever done or will ever do wrong. Thank God for the cross. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done for me. I accept your forgiveness. I commit my life to you. Remake me. Fully restore me. Show me your will. Help me to walk in your way. I'm not the star of this show. I want to play the part that you have for me in restoring this broken world and bringing other people to know you too. And submit. Choose to submit the whole of your life to the God of love. Ask him for his power to help you live out this relationship every day. 
submitting to God involves choosing to live a life that pleases him. Because you've got a new life and a fresh start to behave in right ways. He knows you can't do this alone. It will be impossible. That's why when we ask, he sends his Holy Spirit to restore us. And we're going to pray a prayer, everybody allowed together. And if at the end this was a first time thing for you, just because we want to celebrate and thank God, if this was like a a first time thing or even a recommitment and you realise you've wandered away, you've been living on the other side of that curtain, but now you want to come fully in, I'm going to ask you to stick up a hand and we'll just pass you one of these booklets, then you've got one. But let's all say this together. Thank you, God, for loving me. Before I ever loved you. Thank you Jesus. For dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now. Because you are alive forever. I admit that I've lived my life. Without you and messed it up. I ask for your total forgiveness as I commit or recommit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and I ask you to fill me with your love and your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org/media.